In this podcast, we will be discussing films that have a purposeful focus on the aspect of race in their stories. We have acknowledged in previous podcast episodes the lack of diversity in older films, but today it is imperative that we call our attention to films that we think get it right. Jack and I have films that we both recommend checking out. Although there are so many films out there that do an amazing job of highlighting disparities in race, this is just one sampling. Next week, we will do a more in-depth look at Black history and cinema. For resources and discovering ways to better become involved in the fight for justice and equality, I highly recommend the NAACP website. We will post a link to their site in our social media bios. Welcome to the Old Soul Movie Podcast, your number one spot for classic movie rewatches and breakdowns. My name is Jack Oremus, and I'm here with my sister, Emma Oremus. We decided that we wanted to make a show that reflected our love and appreciation for classic movies. And while you're here, hopefully we can share that together as an Old Soul family. We're going to be diving into these movies scene by scene and giving our modern reactions to the films that have influenced generations of people. There will be fun facts, hot takes, tears, laughter, and everything in between. And with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another very special episode of the Old Soul Movie Podcast. And like Emma mentioned before, today is going to be a little bit different. Today, we are going to be covering uh, movies that really highlight people of color and that tackle the disparity that is out there in cinema. So very excited to do this. I think obviously paying attention to everything that's going on in the world right now, this is a very important thing to cover and I'm excited to do it. Emma, how are you today? I am doing it just fine and dandy. It is a beautiful sunny day and the world has been hurting really bad lately. And I, I think it's important that we continue education on black related issues to the best of our ability. And I think that some of the movies that we picked out do a great job doing so and through through the artistry. Definitely. I'm excited. I mean, these are a few of my favorite movies. I never really get to talk about them that much uh, just because, uh, just because, but yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to highlight them today, give them their their time to shine. And yeah, Emma, do you want to start us off with the, we have, we each have yeah. three movies. We each have three. We'll alternate between our choices. I have three and Jack has three. So I will start us off. I also want to note that this is going to be very short snippets because we wanted to cover a variety of films. We're not doing an in-depth, comprehensive rewatch. We're pretty much just doing background info and some of our personal reactions to these films. Hopefully in the future, I'm definitely, definitely hoping we can at least tackle a couple of these for rewatches in the future. But right now, we just kind of want to push some introductions out there. So we'll start with one of my picks. And my first pick here to me is by far one of, if not the most important movie to watch right now, given the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery. 
I think that this is a phenomenal film, and that is Do the Right Thing, which came out in 1989. It is a film directed by Spike Lee. It stars Spike Lee, Danny Aiello, Ozzy Davis, Ruby D, Giancarlo Esposito, Bill Nunn, and Samuel L. Jackson. And this story explores a Brooklyn neighborhood's simmering racial tension, which accumulates in violence and death on a hot summer day. So there, there's a lot of different characters and stories kind of interwoven. It mainly focuses on Mookie, who's a pizza delivery guy. He is black, and he works for a pizza shop. And one of Sal's sons is um, very racist and prejudiced against black people. So what's cool, and this is actually from a psychology's perspective too, this is accurate. Crime rates do tend to go up in summer months, which is really kind of a fascinating correlation. And Spike Lee got the idea of this film after watching Alfred Hitchcock Presents. And there's an episode in that in which there's a theory that hot weather does increase violent tendencies. It was also inspired by the 1986 Howard Beach racial incident, which was an occurrence of an African-American man being killed and the shooting of Eleanor Bumpus by police. Um, and the screenplay was written in two weeks. And what's amazing is that it was such a short amount of time that it was still nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy Awards. I think that this is one of the most important films of the 80s and one of the most important films in American cinema. I know I've mentioned it last week that I think that Back to the Future is, jokingly, I mentioned that it's a prerequisite to being an American. This is probably more so a prerequisite to being an American. This is just one snapshot of an issue that has been nonstop, nonstop before and after this movie's release. So to take a look and really zero in on this film, I think helps can help provide someone with an understanding of what's going on in our current state of the world. So for me personally, highlights of this film are the overall setup and the concept of a heat wave. I love the mimicking of weather reflecting upon racial tensions, which is pretty cool. And it ends up kind of serving a plot point. I also think for me watching this, the really, really, I don't want to say overlooked, but I think the climax is definitely for sure what calls people's attention. But for me, the initial protest of Sal's Hall of Fame and black individuals not being represented is to me kind of like the seeds being planted towards the end. So um, Buggin' Out wants to protest how Sal, the pizza shop owner, he has a hall of fame of pictures on the wall of just Italian Americans. And they would like representation of black individuals since their neighborhood mostly comprises of black individuals. And so he does start with a peaceful protest and only radio Rahim and smiley join him. And this is powerful because it shows the dangers and repercussions of when people do not actively join together in protest. Um, and especially a protest that started in peace, things can escalate later. So I think this definitely shows the harm and danger of not respecting peaceful protests at their inception. So very kind of important note to put there. I also think it's very powerful, the part where different characters express different stereotypes of people who are of a race other than their own. That is kind of like a break 
breaks the fourth wall type of scene where a lot of the characters go around and give these different hateful statements. And it really does impact you because even though you disagree with it, it's one of those where as an audience member, it's interesting because you can't speak up out against it. And then you have to think in your own life, would I speak out against that if that were to be said to me in my own life? Um, And of course, to me, the biggest and most terrible, but like terrible in a impactful way, um, part of this movie is the death of Radio Rahim. This character is killed via a chokehold by a police officer. And the police officers leave very quickly and they're only focused on kind of saving their own skins. Um, Keep in mind, this is 1980s. There's no cameras or phone videos. And it's a marginalized group against white people in a position of authority. So it just makes you wonder, you know, how many Radio Rahims were there out there? And I have to say, like, it, it is interesting because the big question is, did Mookie do the right thing? Because in response to Radio Rahim being killed, he does start a riot and um, throws a trash bin against Sal's pizzeria. And then they end up setting the pizzeria on fire. And I have to say, when I watch Radio Rahim being killed, I am just physically disgusted. And it is very powerful and upsetting. And then when I watch the riot happen, I, I've got to say I don't really feel anything. It's just not as strong as a feeling. Some other interesting things that happened when this movie came out was after its release, um, many people were concerned that this film would incite black audiences to riot. And I totally stand with um, Spike Lee's criticism for suggesting that black audiences were not capable of restraining themselves while watching a piece of art that reflected a truth in our society. And uh, he also said, I don't remember people, Spike Lee said, I don't remember people saying uh, people were going to come out of theaters killing people after they watched Arnold Schwarzenegger films. And uh, yeah, that is, that nails it on the head. Like how racist or that state, those criticisms were. It's also really interesting. Spike Lee has said that only white viewers ask him if Mookie did the right thing and black viewers do not question. And Spike Lee says that he believes the point is that Mookie was angry at the wrongful death of Radio Rahim. Viewers who question the riot are explicitly failing to see the difference between damage to property and the death of a black man. So again, that theme and idea has been very pertinent in the pertaining to the justifying behind riots. And the film ends in this really interesting juxtaposition of these two quotes by Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X in which these two different black leaders have different takes on violence. Martin Luther King advocates nonviolence. Malcolm X advocates for the self-defense in response to oppression. And so therefore, there's no answer. It's kind of hard. In a recent op-ed by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he says, you know, it's not right, but it's not wrong either. And I think that that captures this perfectly. It's like we just don't have a clear answer for what the right thing is. And I'll just leave the quotes here for you in case you're interested, because I do think that they are especially meaningful during this time. The first one is by Martin Luther King Jr. Violence 
as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. It is impractical because it is a descending spiral ending in destruction for all. The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than to convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. It destroys community and makes brotherhood impossible. It leaves society in monologue rather than dialogue. Violence ends by destroying itself. It creates bitterness in the survivors and brutality in the destroyers. So that is the first quote at the end of the film. The other quote at the end of the film is by Malcolm X, and it is, I think there are plenty of good people in America, but there are also plenty of bad people in America, and the bad ones are the ones who seem to have all the power and be in these positions to block things that you and I need. Because this is the situation, you and I have to preserve the right to do what is necessary to bring an end to that situation. And it doesn't mean that I advocate violence, but at the same time, I am not against using violence in self-defense. I don't even call it violence because it's self-defense. I call it intelligence. So both two very powerful and meaningful quotes, especially during this time. And again, just muddies the waters of what's the right thing. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that I think out of all the movies that we discuss throughout this podcast, that is probably the most important one. The one that if you had to choose one, you know, go watch that. Is that pretty safe to say? Absolutely. This is for me, bar none. Like all of these are worth watching, but if I had to pick one for like right now, this is, this is the one that I'm assigning you. Yeah, definitely. Very, very good first pick. Yeah. So my first pick, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit strange and there's a good chance that you've never heard of this movie, but it's called Bell. It was released in 2013 and it's a British period drama a uh, historical fiction film inspired by a real-life painting of a woman named Dido Elizabeth Bell. She was the illegitimate mixed-race daughter of a British admiral, and she plays an important role in the abolition of slavery in England. So this was a really interesting film for me. I was in a... Uh, it was my freshman year of college at Santa Clara, and I believe it was the writing class that I was in was specifically focused on on women's rights and intersectionality. And this movie was one that our professor showed us. And there were just so many things that stuck out to me when I watched it for the first time. I wasn't expecting to like it anywhere near as much as I did. And I think it just, it was really interesting because it covered a different country and sort of their relation to racial histories. It's just a really, really interesting uh, film. I don't have as much to say compared to Do the Right Thing, but I think there are a couple things to take note of. Uh, one, that it was directed by Emma Asanta. Uh, she's a British black filmmaker, and it was also written by a British Nigerian named Misan Sege. Uh, I think it's cool just to sort of get a different viewpoint, uh, a different directorial style, just a, a new kind of film, just because British films are different than American films. It doesn't. It definitely has a bit of a different style, but I really, really enjoyed uh, just watching this one. I also think that there are great performances all around, most notably by the uh, the lead, Gugu Mabatha Raw. Also, for all you Harry Potter fans, Tom Felton, aka Draco from Harry Potter, ah. is in it as well. So that will be the familiar face that you see 
But yeah, I mean, the reason why I really liked this movie and why it resonated with me so much is that it gives a little bit more of a global perspective of racism and it it's just a beautiful beautiful movie to watch i mean like the picture is incredible i think i was watching it on this projector which was amazing too which is besides the point but i was just i was stunned while i was watching it i can't remember the last time that i was just amazed by the camera work of a movie it's just it's really really incredible to watch but i also think that it does a good job of providing insight into the nature of being a mixed race even though this is in england in you know the late 18th century i think that it's pretty cool to see sort of this concept of being too high class to be sort of with the slaves that dido slash bell was sort of around in her family but also not being white enough to be considered family to the admiral and to everyone else sort of involved in her circle so i think that that could be pretty pertinent to some people today too maybe feeling like they don't completely identify one way or the other and just having you know different identities i think it, it really explores that concept really well while also i, I i'm just a, a sucker for historical fiction i love <laughs> a good time piece or whatever is that is that what's called time piece oh well period yeah, piece period piece period piece <laughs> yeah i love a good period uh, piece just overall i think it's a, a really really strong very underrated slept on movie that you should check out i like that it's set in a different time i like that it's set in the past and i think that those movies that are set in the past can really speak volumes about issues that haven't really resolved themselves today so I, I love that about this. Is there like a favorite part that you had in this film in particular? There are a couple parts that I think are really, really strong. There's one quote that I really, really like. There's a, this lawyer that is apparently the love interest of Bell. And he just says that laws that allow us to diminish the humanity of anybody are not laws. And so it's just it's it's cool to imagine being like in that period and really know that it, it wasn't that long ago when this was all happening and this was even like 50 years before the american civil war so it, it, i think it's just very notable for us to cover and it's a cool movie i think to see that not everyone is familiar with absolutely very cool very yeah. nice yeah. um I'll have to watch it. So my second pick is Imitation of Life, the 1934 version. So in 2005, Imitation of Life was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry because it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And um, it was also named by Time in 2007 as one of the 25 most important films on race. So the story is about a struggling widow and her daughter who take in a black housekeeper who is also a single woman and her pretty fair-skinned daughter who could pass as white. And the two women start a successful business, but they face um, family identity and racial crises and issues as they build this empire. So, Imitation of Life was nominated for three Academy Awards. And keep in mind that the Academy Awards were just a few years into even existing. And it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Assistant Director um, for Scott R. Beale, and Best Sound Mixing by Theodore Soderbergh. So, 
Um, I will put this caveat in there. I have my own thoughts and reactions, but I think that the best, there's a video on YouTube that I think really covers this movie in depth super well. And it's only like five minutes long. And I will post that to our social media. But yes, it's a TCM video featuring Donald Bogle, who does a great job of explaining it. But I will talk about some of those highlighted points right now. So really interesting. Universal had a lot of time getting past the censors with our favorite, Hayes Code. Yes. (laughs) Um, Joseph Green objected to the elements of racial mixing in this story because it, and this is a quote, not only violates production code, but is very dangerous from the standpoint, both of industry and public policy. And he did reject the project at first, the idea of a black woman wanting to be a passing white woman, which again, disrupts their policy on racial mixing, which is so dumb. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Yeah. So the production code censors had a lot of difficulty trying to negotiate um, how racial difference would be filmed and even the filming process itself. This movie was so ahead of its time. It's kind of unreal to me, to be honest with you, 1930s. And this is one of, if not the only depression era films that really shows a true race problem in America. And I love that it's told through the lens of two women, one being white, one being black. And it, a further point of interest is that the black woman's daughter um, could be a passing white woman. And some areas of interest um, or some highlights that I think really speak to me is I get very heated because the white woman Beatrice makes a product based off the pancake recipe of Delilah, the the black woman. And she builds this pancake empire or whatever. And then she's like, I'm going to give you 20% to Delilah. And it's absurd because Delilah is the one that that's her recipe. That's the reason for the success. So it's very aggravating to watch that and rightfully so. And I'm curious as an audience in 1934, I'm just curious what that response would be. Freddie Washington is to me, gorgeous, talented, supremely amazing, both in her personal life and on the screen. And she is a light-skinned black actress, and she was actually told in her own personal career that she should pass as white actress if she wants to get jobs, and she did refuse. And the actor she plays, Piola, denies being related to her mother in one part and gets a job saying that, based off of saying that she's white, Um, And she does use that skin color to get ahead. It is kind of interesting. There's um, a a lot of people from the black community have expressed a disbelief in this character's actions here. But the historians, especially Donald Bogle in the video that I recommend, he does show the interest in trying to take white opportunities and the importance of white opportunity characters actions in this film capture that concept very well. I will say this too, it was unusual and cool that they did cast a black actress for the role of Piola, the light-skinned black woman that can pass as white, because the 1959 movie does not cast a black or biracial woman in this role. Um, Susan Koner, who plays the equivalent of that role, is Austrian-Hungarian and of Mexican descent. So again, I mean, 1934 versus moving 
onward in the timeline of history, it gets worse with accurate representation in film. And yeah, this movie was like released two decades earlier than that one. And it did cast a black actress. So that just goes to show you how divided things were in the fifties, but it is, um, an amazing film again, looking at two single women and involves in business and mother daughter relationships and racial relationships. It's very comprehensive. And I agree with time. I think it is one of the most important movies on race. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very good stuff. So my next pick is Friday, which came out in 1995. And if you haven't seen it, oh, first off, you're missing out, missing out on a lot of laughs. But it details one Friday in South Central Los Angeles. Craig Jones, played by Ice Cube, has just gotten fired on his day off for stealing cardboard boxes and has to deal with his rent being due, an overbearing girlfriend, and his best friend Smokey, played by Chris Tucker, who owes a local drug dealer some money. So I saw this movie, I want to say, when I was I was pretty young. I might have been 13 or 14, but uh, I watched it with a lot of my baseball teammates who also grew up on the south side of Chicago, and it was one of their favorite movies, too, and it was sort of my first indoctrination into black culture, and it just gave us really funny stuff to reference. I think that it's a lot different than a lot of other movies that are out there, like Do the Right Thing. Boys in the Hood, Mensa Society, you know, this really covers the the sort of lighter moments that happen while growing up in some rougher areas and rougher neighborhoods. And I think that, yes, there's a place for, I think, the more dramatic films, but I think there also needs to be something light to, like, get you through the hardships of, you know, what might be happening around you. And I think that this really does... A, a good job of showing sort of the uh, those more humorous moments that uh, that happen while growing up in some hard places. And I think that's really what Ice Cube was going for. A lot of the things that happened in the movie actually happened to him on the block that he grew up in. And, and Ice Cube has even described it sort of as being a little bit of a passion project. He ended up paying a lot of the actors out of pocket himself. And... It just also has endless modern references, like by Felicia, you got knocked up out. Uh, <laughs> how do you get fired on your day off? All these things um, <laughs> were, yeah, it, it was very improv driven. So it, it was cool to give them a little bit more freedom and to sort of detail like a very simple story sort of in its essence. But and it's in a way, it was kind of like an everyday thing, which I think makes it really really cool to to see to understand and even if it's just a tiny bit it gives you somewhat of an insight into what some people had to do in order to uh to make it out and that's just by finding a little bit of the uh the lighter moments that happen so so yeah really really good movie really solid and and yeah if if you're more of a comedy person i'd say that this is the perfect movie for you to to watch to really get an idea of sort of what it's like to grow up in those neighborhoods. Very cool. So my next one is a beloved classic. It is The Color Purple, which came out in 1985. It is based on the 1982 Pulitzer Prize winning novel of the same name by Alice Walker. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. It stars Whoopi Goldberg, Danny Glover, 
Oprah Winfrey, and Margaret Avery. And the story explores um, that of Celie Harris, who's an African-American girl um, living around the early 1900s. And it really depicts this full story of African-American women facing problems um, pertaining to sexism and racism and poverty and incest and violence against women. So so many things through the relationship with the men in their lives. And Celie ends up becoming um, very transformed because she does recognize her own self-worth as a black woman with the help of her um, two female friends. So very cool. I remember the first time I watched this and it was one of those where I think it was like always on my list and I didn't get around to it. But then my freshman year in college, I watched this for a writing course and I, I just, I really loved it. I especially, especially want to highlight the um, performance of Whoopi Goldberg because I think she is phenomenal with a capital P in this movie. Um, she was in another movie that came out before this, but this is kind of better known as her debut. And um, Oprah Winfrey also does a really amazing performance. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting to see someone who not necessarily is known for their acting to do such a strong job for this role. Her character is very, very fiery and strong. And it's just such an admirable character and performance for both of these women. And I particularly love the scene of the women in the purple flowers known as the God loves admiration scene. Um, I think Whoopi Goldberg does amazing in this part. I just, I love how vulnerable she is in it. And cinematography wise, it's such a wonderful mix of the connection between environment and womanism. And I love that the scene is set against the backdrop of just these purple flowers. Again, kind of once again, exploring the symbol of womanism. So very, very awesome. The, um, performances all around just give you such a deep and profound emotional impact. And I, I think this is one of those where you do have to watch for yourself. I've heard critiques that I think people think it's too, you know, quote unquote sappy. I don't really think so. I think it's, you know, emotional in showing that emotions are just as strong as, you know, other aspects of ourselves as women. So very cool. Yeah. I really recommend it. It's, it does feature a lot of contemporary stars that, and you don't, you're not distracted by their star power in it at all. Like you really see them in this different element, which is just cool in and of itself. Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to have to check that one out. I hadn't heard about it until you uh, told me about it. So I think oh, it's great. Yeah. That's, that's definitely going to be one that I'll have to, to watch. Yeah. Sealy is everything. Cool. Yeah. So the final one, my third recommendation for a film that you should check out is Crash from 2004. And basically, if you've seen Love Actually or... Curb Enthusiasm. Yeah, Curb Enthusiasm. <laughs> Everything comes together. Yeah, anything that I guess has multiple stories, this is, this is made somewhat in the same vein as that. But basically, it covers race, class, family, gender issues from multiple perspectives of people living in Los Angeles in the aftermath of 9-11. There's a bunch of different characters that range from uh, a district attorney played by Brendan Fraser, uh, his prejudiced wife, Sandra Bullock, these police detectives played by Don Cheadle and uh, Jennifer Esposito, 
this Middle Eastern store owner and, you know, wealthy African-American couple played by Terrence Howard and Thandi Newton and a traffic cop played by Matt Dillon. So this was a really interesting movie because I think it is so polarizing, like in a weird way. Oh, my gosh. It's like everyone's favorite movie to hate. Yeah. I mean, there are people that love it. Roger Ebert being one of them. But there's also people that just absolutely hate it. And so I think that like it almost goes along the division of race for people that I think love it and hate it too in a weird way. It it just covers so many interesting concepts. And for me, it's interesting because I'm living out here in LA and I'm able to see, yes, there's a ton of diversity out here, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people are, are as progressive as you'd think that they would be. And I think that this movie actually highlights that in a really solid way. It's like we just mentioned a moment ago, very polarizing. It actually won Best Picture at the uh, 78th Academy Awards. It also <laughs> Probably won... one of the most frowned upon Best Picture winners. Yeah, yeah. It also won Best Original Screenplay and Best Film Editing. But I think they're really... It's just such a, an interesting movie because I don't necessarily agree with maybe the overall message of the film or how it really depicts race. Like mm-hmm. I'm still iffy yeah. on Matt Dillon kind of saving Thandie Newton and yeah, I don't know, certain things that happen in it, but it does have some really, really incredibly powerful moments. I think what happens with the shopkeeper is one of, one of, I don't know, one of those scenes that just always gets me in a weird way, but I can see how people would not like it because of like the mystical aspect of what happens and I don't know that kind of debate, but yeah, I mean, everything really does connect in a really solid way. And I think just overall, you know, if you're looking at race prejudices, this is a really, really thought provoking movie to watch. And yeah, I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna come out probably loving it or hating it. So just be prepared for that. (laughs) I'd say going in. (laughs) But yeah, definitely interesting to watch if you're sort of in the mood to explore films that are centered around race. I agree. I think that why this movie is so controversial is because it ended up beating the highly, highly, highly favored and um, um, sh- I don't want to say shoo-in because clearly it didn't win, but the favorite to win that year was Brokeback Mountain. And there were comments that this winning best picture was kind of a safe choice compared to Brokeback Mountain, which obviously is a very LGBTQ minded film. And, you know, in 2004, 2005, LGBTQ issues, like I even remember that was just a very, very difficult time. Um, And not to say that race wasn't, but I, I think that there was criticism that it wasn't chosen for the right reasons, I guess, you know what I mean? Um, or that this movie wasn't chosen for the right reasons. And I'm actually of the camp where, um, you know, I don't know. I actually, I think it's a closer call than people give it credit for. A lot of people think good night and good luck should have won. I don't, I, I love everything, uh, uh, you pertaining to good night and good luck, but it's not my favorite. I think these two are definitely your, your top contenders for sure. Um, I remember this was required viewing for us in high school too. So I, I watched this movie at a pretty young age 
And I think I, you know, and it's very much from the perspective of a white person. Paul Haggis is the one that, you know, wrote this and directed it. So I think that that's what you're getting at the time. And I think that there are films in addition to this. This is just one perspective. And I think there's films in addition to this that do a good comprehensive look at um, racial relationships. My favorite parts of this film are definitely that of the handyman and his daughter. Oh, and best, best. that, yes. And the, um, uh, the store owner, um, that is definitely for me, the most powerful part of this entire film. I think that Sandra Bullock did a pretty good job for the role she's given. Um, I really liked Don Cheadle's performance and Dandy Newton's performance. And I want to especially call a little attention to Ludacris's performance because I actually think he did a really good job yeah. considering he's not an actor. So, yeah. And I, I will say that, <clears throat> interestingly enough, that In the Deep, which was nominated for Best Original Song, that is one of my favorite Oscar-nominated original songs. It really is. So I, I actually do suggest checking that song out. Cool. Yeah, I mean, if anything... Watch it for the handyman and his daughter's uh, storyline along with the shopkeeper and I guess his daughter's storyline. It really, it's one of the most powerful scenes that I think of and it's amazing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, those are, I think, a few movies that are really solid, I would say. You know, are they the best? I don't know. But there's some that I think resonate with us pretty well. And are are a good introduction, I think, in a few ways to exploring, yeah, whatever. Intersecting race, racial disparity and issues. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah, I mean, what else did you have to kind of say? Um, yeah. So this is just a sampling, like I kind of said in our preview. It's such a small dose, but to me, I think that if I were to start somewhere, if I wanted to educate myself through the arts, these are definitely some that I would for sure watch. I mean, for me, especially do the right thing for me out of this whole list. I think that's my number one pick. And I, um, yeah, next week we are hoping to do a more comprehensive look into black cinema history. And some of those things, um, we haven't we haven't made the episode yet, but some of those things of interest, we can talk about Noble Johnson again and his um, production company, one of the first all-black theater art um, film companies. Uh, he's a great one. Sidney Poitier, uh, Hattie McDaniel, Freddie Washington, discussions of blackface used throughout film and um American theater history. There's so many things we want to cover. So again, we probably won't cover everything next week, but we're going to hopefully do a really good job of whittling down what we think is really important to educate ourselves on. Yeah. And don't forget to do some research and educate yourself. You know, I mean, these are just, these are, this is like a drop in the bucket of all the art that is made by minorities, by black people. It's, a vast world that I'm, I'll be the first one to admit, like I don't do a good enough job of consuming different types of um, of black film. But there, there's definitely a lot of stuff out there that I want to check out, and I can't wait to start really diving deep into that. So, 
Yeah. And on social media this week, if you have recommendations, I know we missed a ton, but if you have a recommendation of something that you think like, wow, you really need to include this, or I want to hear more about this, please let us know. Cause I want recommendations too, for something that I might not have seen. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. So yeah. Is there anything else that you want to, uh, to add? Nope. Um, just stay tuned for next week. Hopefully we'll have a really good episode for you. Don't forget to subscribe, share with a friend, someone that you think would really like this episode, someone that you think would benefit from it, someone that you think doesn't know much about black cinema and you want them to hear about a few movies that they might be interested in. I think this is the perfect episode for that. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the social medias, uh, Old Soul Movie Pod. You'll be able to find it. And yeah, guys, stay safe out there. Until next time, take care. See you all very soon.